Welcome to the State of Research podcast, brought to you by the Office of the Vice President for Research and KCSU. Narrated and produced by me, Christian Ria, OVPR's Digital Specialist. OVPR's State of Research podcast was created to showcase our campus as one of the premier research institutions amongst American universities. Our office works to encourage and support the development, marketing, and application of CSU's intellectual property and our world-renowned researchers, students, and facilities. With this podcast, we hope to deconstruct the rationale that research is more than an analytical approach toward discovering new and enlightening answers to the complex and direct questions we ask ourselves, but it is also a journey filled with unique stories, individualized inspirations, and perseverance to solve global challenges. In our broadcast, we hope to create purposeful stories about innovation, inspiration, research, and the determination needed to propel our state of being toward the future. On this episode, I sit down with Shelby Condit, a liberal arts student studying journalism and media communications at Colorado State. Shelby had the opportunity as an undergraduate student to travel abroad to Rwanda and Uganda to document the collaborative work being done by CSU's Energy Institute and X-Power to provide microgrid technology and energy access across these countries. As a member of CSU's media team, Shelby was able to see firsthand how CSU's microgrid technology impacted the civilians of these foreign countries. On the show, we'll be talking about Shelby's trip to Africa, her experience with the culture, the people, and the microgrid project aimed at providing electricity and power to thousands. So welcome to the show today, Shelby. I'm very pleased to have you on. I know it's the week before finals and you're probably overwhelmed with so much, but I'm happy that you made time to be on our show and talk more about your trip to Rwanda and Uganda. How are you feeling about your finals coming up? Uh, pretty well. I'm feeling really optimistic. It's going to be a stressful week or two, but uh, no more than I'm used to. So. <laughs> Good. So you're prepared. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, again, thanks for being here. Um, and we'll yeah, just jump in. Me. Yeah, of course. We'll just jump into the conversation. So how did you end up becoming a member of the CSU's media team for this trip to Africa? Uh, so I'm the media and communications intern for the CSU Energy Institute. I started off there as an admin assistant around this time last year. And then when our um, former communications manager came in, Joanna McWilliams, uh, she was looking for an intern to do communications stuff. And I had just uh, come back around to the journalism program at CSU. So I was looking for an opportunity to do some work in that area. So the timing was just great and ended up working for her. And um, we were doing all sorts of things. And then eventually um, we we were at one of our Brewski events, which is just a, a get together for um, for people at the Energy Institute to mm -hmm. get together like once a month and have a beer and Hang talk out. about science. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so it was at one of those in June and Brian uh, Wilson, our executive director, was talking about the work that we're doing in Uganda and Rwanda in regards to microgrid research. And uh, he said that he was interested in maybe sending some of us over there to tell that story. And uh, of course, Joanna was uh, all for it. And and I was excited to say that I was happy to help her with that. And then um, we got the go ahead and Joanna just counted me as part of the team because I'd been doing so much with her over the past few months before that. And then the planning started. Um, how many people were on this team, this media team that you uh, put together? There were four of us. So we had Joanna, me, Lauren Clam from OVPR and uh, Sarah Curry, a freelance videographer that came with us to do the actual filming. Nice. So did you guys like get together and like plan anything ahead or did you guys do your kind of own individual like preparation? 
Joanna really led the charge in developing it out. Um, so we had we we kind of lived through this Google Doc together um, with you know our equipment list and interview questions, and um, we had a an itinerary down to the the thirty minute <laughs> section um, for the trip, which you know it's it's not always going to go <laughs> as planned, but it Never was does. really nice to have that outline at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a collaborative effort in planning. So when Joanna correct um was planning your trip did she have like a set role for you on what you would be doing and sort of like your responsibilities really it was kind of just along the same lines of everything i'd been doing for her beforehand which is just anything she doesn't have time to do i'm mm-hmm. willing to jump in and help uh, so that's kind of how it was with that i was going to be helping out with equipment setup and um, doing some of the interviews writing interview questions for some of them yeah it was really just a, a little bit of everything Okay, so that kind of contributed to your intern role, you know, at CSU Energy, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, what sort of other preparations did you have to make in planning your trip? So there was a lot of logistical stuff to get out of the way. So the planning um, was, was pretty tedious and took up a lot of time. And then... Um, planning as far as safety went. So I had to go through the Office of International Programs and do a full, um, like it was it was probably a month's worth of paperwork that I did in about wow. two days. Um, we had to look over the State Department's uh, safety information because um, Uganda is at like a, a higher level of caution than Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to go through and, and have a committee look at that and say that I was allowed to go because I, I am a student employee. Uh, so really, it was uh, it was just a whirlwind of things that we had to do beforehand to actually make it happen. Were you kind of nervous as the date approached um, toward leaving or were you more excited? I was very excited about the trip and nervous that it wasn't going to happen just because there were so many last minute things and I had to get that approval from the um, from the committee. But uh, mostly it was just excitement and a bit of disbelief that it was actually happening. Yeah, it's kind of great that, you know, you were chosen as an undergraduate student to, you know, have this opportunity to go to another country and assist with this media team because that's like a real role in the real world. Um, to have an opportunity to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was so hands-on, and I'm, I really can't stress how important that trip was and how much of a valuable experience it was for a professional development and just life in general. It was awesome. Can you describe kind of your typical day, what it looked like when you once you arrived in Rwanda? Typical day? Uh, there, I mean, none of them were typical, <laughs> but uh, we would we would get together every morning and kind of uh, hash out what the day was going to be like uh, over breakfast um, and then get going. There really was very little downtime uh, throughout the whole trip. Most of it was just, OK, like here's here's the next round of things that we have to get through. We would have to um, get together and share our uh, media that we'd gotten the day before and mm-hmm. switched on to backup hard drives and whatnot. So we didn't lose it. And really, it was just go, go, go. I mean, you were only there for how long? We were gone for 11 days, but it's a 36 hour flight. So we were only there for about eight days. Once you arrived, what kind of um, emotions did the team go through in like adjusting maybe to the culture, maybe to the struggles of getting around? Like what what kind of uh, limitations in arriving did you guys witness? We actually, it all went pretty smoothly. Once we okay. got on the plane, everything went well. Our flights left on time. And whenever we got there, uh, we had uh, hired a, a driver to help us out. And uh, he was awesome. His name was Rogers. 
Uh, he now has a CSU Energy Institute t-shirt that he wears pretty regularly and posts on Facebook, which is uh, affirming. But yeah, and he was so awesome and helpful and kind. And so he was always ready to go whenever we needed uh, help getting anywhere. So things went really smoothly after we after we got on the ground. That's good, because sometimes I hear stories about people traveling internationally and they're like, it is such a mess, you know, mm-hmm. like getting around or like, you know, planning where you need to go. Um, so that's good to hear that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Our All our logistical efforts leading up to it didn't go in vain. Good. <laughs> so being in this um, foreign country for about eight days, like you said, um, what sort of cultural differences did you witness? What were, you know, some uncomfortable situations or more comforting ones? Because, you know, I'm sure there were some similarities in, you know, their way of life, but also some major differences. Yeah, I so I really can't say that I felt uncomfortable at any point during the trip. Everybody was really welcoming. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people were pretty excited that we were around. I think we were more of a curiosity whenever we went to the village than Mm -hmm. anything. Um, People were really excited about the camera equipment. (laughs) Um, As far as, like, once we got into Kigali, it was just like any bustling metro area. Um, Although the traffic is a little more... uh, difficult to maneuver through. I'm really glad that we weren't trying to drive through it ourselves. So the infrastructure there is not quite as developed as, as it is um, like here in Fort Collins, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I guess for me, being there was just kind of a reminder that at the end of the day, we're all still just trying to get through it. And we all have our, we all just want our basic needs filled. You know, we want to have, we want to enjoy our life. We want to have a, a roof over our head and have access to food and clean water. And um, despite those infrastructure issues everybody's still trying to get to the same end goal um, which kind of is another reason why it feels good to be involved in the microgrid aspect of it because it's addressing those basic needs issues that we all need yeah and i'm sure in some ways their culture is sort of underserved based on you know the economics of their country and also probably even the politics of their country so that's limiting in itself. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of um, political and historical issues that have um, led to the lack of development mm-hmm. in those areas. And so it's really interest. It's going to be really interesting to watch Rwanda change over the next decade or so because they've already come really far since the the you know the Rwandan genocide in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing to to watch. In what ways did their way of life differ or relate to ours in the states? Uh, there's definitely not as much of a dependency on uh, electronics and electricity, mm, obviously. Sure. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more, I would say, um, interaction between people. Not that we don't have interaction here. I'm not one of those people that's going to say that, you know, because the, the kids are on their phones too much mm. and we're not talking to each <laughs> other. We are. Um, but there was a lot more um, face-to-face interaction. What was it like, um, you know, traveling from place to place? What did you kind of observe in, you know, moving from throughout the city and then throughout um, the other parts of the country? Uh, Yeah. So I think I had some idea of what it would be like ahead of time just because I was so involved in the planning process. But Mm -hmm. uh, being there is obviously a lot different. And on the first day, we were just at the University of Rwanda, which was right next to our hotel there. Uh, So we were just getting to kind of dig into what the city was like at that point. And then on our second day, uh, that's whenever we went out to Gitaraga, which is about an hour and a half outside of Kigali. 
Uh, so very quickly, once you leave Kigali, you're into the more rural area. Um, it's a bustling city, but it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't take long to get outside of that. And then you're on um, bumpy dirt roads. And uh, there's a joke about it being an African massage, <laughs> <laughs> um, which got plenty of those. Um, so, yeah. So the next day we were out in the village and there's about um, about 300 residents in that village. Uh, and they are just outside um, where the national grid, electric grid reaches. So that's one of the places where the mesh power microgrid was set up. So that dichotomy is what is really interesting to see about that. Just that you're you're in this city that has full electricity access and then an hour later you're in a place that is, you know, struggling to um, provide clean water for, for their people. Can you briefly talk about CSU's Energy Institute and their collaboration with X-Power on this microgrid project that brought you and the team to Africa? Yeah, so the CSU Energy Institute, um, the fourth floor is the Resident Enterprise Partners Zone. So it's a place for startup companies to do their work um, that's energy related and have that kind of home base and have like this collaborative environment to be able to work with researchers and um, find students to work for them and, and, and whatnot. Uh, so XPower is one of those. And Dan Zimmerly, uh, our one of our researchers for the Smart Village Microgrid Lab, he is an advisor to them as well. Can you describe more of like the technical side of the microgrid design and how they work and kind of what they are contributing to Uganda and Rwanda? Yes, I'm definitely not the expert here, um, but I was lucky enough to be able to hang out with experts for a while now. So a microgrid is basically a small electrical grid that can stand on its own apart from a national grid. Uh, So it's really useful for rural areas and um, it's really helpful for use with renewable energy. So mesh power in Rwanda, which is um, just kind of what they go by in that area, it's it's X power. Um, They have... Typically, their setup for a rural village is an AC-DC system. So AC, alternating current, is the power that's typically used for more energy-intensive appliances, for example. And then DC power is good for like simple lighting setups. So it's really good to start out a village and get them into having just a DC power setup so they can have just simple lighting for their house, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you develop a little further, then you can get the that um, AC power in so that they can start developing their businesses. What other benefits have you seen or did you see when you were there that the microgrid technology brought to the civilians? Just that electricity access is really important. Uh, so in Gitaraga, for example, um, there's a bar owner who now has internet access. So he's working on furthering his education while he runs that business. Uh, there's also a seamstress there. She's been able to take over more aspects of her work. Uh, so she's got an electric sewing machine now. So she's not having to outsource uh, to other areas like Kigali, for example. And then there is a, uh, a guy named Martin. He owns a hair salon. So he's able to provide more services to members of that community. What long-term goals does CSU have with this um, microgrid technology in these countries? Currently, that partnership with the University of Rwanda and with Mesh Power is also in collaboration with the government of Rwanda. In 2016, uh, the World Bank funded 24 African Centers of Excellence, and one of those is the um, Center of Excellence for Energy and Sustainable Development, and that's through the University of Rwanda. So... We, the University of Rwanda reached out to CSU's Energy Institute to ask them to partner with them in the microgrid aspect of it. So the goal for 
Rwanda is to fully electrify the country, which is about 12 million people by 2024. Wow. So, and currently it, uh, numbers differ, but somewhere between 20 to 40% of the country has electricity currently. So uh, it's a very ambitious goal. Uh, so that's that's something that we want to continue in, in in that partnership and helping them develop in their their lab uh, as well as the efforts through Mesh Power. Could you go into more detail about the partnership that you mentioned through CSU and the University of Rwanda? Yeah, so once the University of Rwanda got selected as one of those African Centers of Excellence for Energy and Sustainable Development, uh, they reached out to CSU because of our microgrid lab. They wanted to model theirs after ours. So our uh, researcher, Dan Zimmerly, goes over there fairly often, and they're just working on developing that aspect of their research at the University of Rwanda so that they can work more directly in their communities. What's unique about um, CSU's partnership with this university and and this initiative to provide electricity? What have you witnessed on working on this project? I think what I like about it is that they do take a cross-disciplinary approach Mm -hmm. and take in the social implications of of this and take it very seriously. Um, You know, there are people working at Mesh Power that have grown up in communities without electricity. You know, they're, they're local. And in the in the communities that they're electrifying now, they like they'll they'll usually have one or two people that ends up working for mesh power remotely, kind of, mm-hmm. and so they're learning these systems. So they're, you know, they're they're getting an education in in this particular area as well as getting access to you know the the wider world. So the civilians of these villages are actively involved in the project and you know continually doing the mesh power work outside of you know mesh power setting it up. Like they're trained in this, correct? Um, yeah, sort of. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think I think it's just good that they're involved in the process. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to do work with communities and not just work over them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think it's 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 nice the way that this is being implemented. Now we're stepping into segment two of, of the podcast where we kind of break down the personal stories and just get a little bit more information and like get to know Shelby a little bit more, especially since she's an undergraduate student with this opportunity. She still has so much ahead of her in discovering what she wants to do with her career and where she wants to go in journalism. Could you talk a little bit more just to summarize the first segment, kind of what you took from this opportunity? And like, what about this opportunity kind of shifted your view of the world? It was, it was an extremely important experience mm-hmm. for sure, both professionally and just personally. So I, I, like I said, I got to be part of every aspect of that whole filming process and writing about it afterwards. And I got to work on my photography again and just spend day after day, just, you know, with my hands on the camera and um, trying to, to up that skill set. So professionally, I mean, it was great. I've already used those skills um, since then. I mm-hmm. set up a whole uh, filming process for a nonprofit based out of Oklahoma, and that uh, it, it felt like it came pretty easily to me because after Rwanda, it, it was anything was going to be uh, less stressful than that. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it was it was highly important. And then personally, I just I grew up in a <clears throat> in a fairly underprivileged home. I came from rural Oklahoma, and you know, I always wanted to do big, exciting things and travel the world and do something to make the world a little bit better. And this was, it was kind of the first time that I felt like that was happening. And it felt like it was this really tangible thing that I can, I can look to and be like, oh, okay, I am actually 
I'm getting to that point in my life where I feel like every everything I've done so far is is leading to where I want it to go. Mm -hmm. Things are kind of coming to fruition. Yes. Where do you see your passion for journalism going after you graduate? Uh, so I want to keep uh, pursuing science writing and science mm -hmm. communications. Um, I'm really interested in the filming process, and I think, I think as video continues to be a more popular medium, that's going to be really essential for helping with the spread of misinformation and disinformation that we've had. So I want to be a part of that and and help get, help get all the exciting things that happen with science out there into the world, so that people feel a little more connected to it. Because I think it can seem like a really sterile thing for certain communities but mm. it's it's not it's very exciting and very important to the way communities develop so yeah i think it's very important to speak and be a speaker of you know the research and you know science initiatives that are taking place not necessarily always at csu but like even outside of csu um, because it's important to know how we're evolving as a society and as a culture and the only way that we can really understand it is through research and is through examining our past, but also progressively thinking of, of the future. Right, exactly. People have a lot of, you know, different ways of looking at the world, but the cool thing about scientific research is that it's empirical and peer review is encouraged. And it's, I think it's a really good way to get an objective look at the ways that people see the world and to get a better idea of what is maybe a, a good path forward mm -hmm. in whatever area that may be. Yeah. It's definitely a collaborative system and process to be involved in. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I've enjoyed about um, CSU's work is that it seems like all the research that goes on tends to um, bleed over a little bit. Like we've got our energy humanities mm -hmm. person now that's working on that stuff. And yeah, it's it's neat that, that the social sciences are integrating more with uh, the engineers. Mm -hmm. There's, yeah, again, more collaboration, mm -hmm. which is needed, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. Can you touch on uh, maybe a mentor or multiple mentors that you've had throughout your um, academic career um, that have kind of influenced you to pursue what you're doing and kind of shape um, a view of where you could be? Uh, yeah, I've, I, I mean, a lot of people come to mind. I feel pretty lucky I've, I've worked for and with some, some really awesome people. Mm -hmm. um, but one of them is actually a, a friend of mine from Oklahoma. Her name is Stacy Wright. And... She is the founder of a nonprofit that I work for there, um, just volunteer on a volunteer basis. Um, and she's just a very dear friend of mine, and she's older than me, but she's really done a wonderful job of always making me feel like I have the room to, to take up space and to pursue the big ideas that I have. She's always very supportive, and that's been really essential to how I've grown over the past few years. And then at the Energy Institute, getting to work for Joanna was amazing. Um, she definitely has that same kind of excitement about science. And so I started to just kind of see all the possibilities that could come from pursuing this particular area. And it's been, it's been enlightening. And I feel like I've kind of gotten to uh, dig back into some of the more nerdy sides of myself because um, I, I mean I at once I at one time I, I considered majoring in astrophysics and then decided that I didn't actually feel like doing the math like I could but I don't know I'm not into that <laughs> I'm a little bit too much of a flaky artist still so I think science writing I get to uh, mesh those things together and that's been that's been uh, really good 
From the perspective of a student, what advice would you give to another student curious of pursuing something in science or in journalism? To just talk to people, get get involved in things that you're interested in. Um, then whenever it comes to uh, writing stories, you know, start a blog. And if, if it's something that interests you, chances are it's going to interest someone else. So follow the story and um, just talk to people, mm-hmm. ask questions and be curious. Yeah, I think being curious has always helped me as a writer to push my um, my ambition to be a better writer and to yeah. be more aware of like important things like this podcast. This podcast is my baby. It's my mm-hmm. endeavor that I took control over and I really wanted to, you know, create a space where I could talk to people within the science and research um, aspects of CSU and, you know, talk to them about themselves and their work and how Mm -hmm. it's transpired in so many different areas, not only in their research, but in their personal lives, you know, in personal development and even professional development. So I think. Exactly. These things don't exist in a vacuum. You know, they're Mm -hmm. all happening in the midst of everybody's lives and if you incorporate that into into that story, that's where people are. That's how you're going to connect with people. Exactly. Well, thank you again, Shelby, for being on the show and sharing your experience with us in Rwanda and about the microgrid technology that's coming out of CSU and being able to share your experience as an undergraduate student and having this opportunity to explore outside of Fort Collins and explore yourself a little bit more um, in the professional world. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. We look forward to exploring and sharing new research stories with you every other week. Check out OVPR's Facebook and Instagram at COLO State Research to hear about the latest research stories taking place at Colorado State. And keep an eye out for any announcements on these social platforms for all future State of Research podcast episodes. Special thanks to KCSU for giving us this platform to tell these stories, Shelby for being on the show and sharing her wonderful experience in Africa, as well as helping us understand more about the microgrid technology coming out of CSU. And to all of you listeners for tuning in with us. Until next time, ciao.